And so tonight we want to talk a little bit about what Sukkot is about. So Sukkot, if you grew up like me, you didn't call it Sukkot. It's called Sukkot, right? That's uh, and a very interesting holiday. So I, growing up, I, uh, celebrating Sukkot, first of all, not everybody celebrates this holiday. This is not a major, you know, in the Jewish community, just in the tip, you know, in the Jewish community in Columbus, Ohio, or Cleveland, or Cincinnati, or, or Canton, or wherever you grew up. Uh, it is a minor holiday. It's considered a minor festival. Um, and there is a disconnect between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, right? You know that if, if you uh, uh, grew up Jewish, that, that everybody takes off a Rosh Hashanah, everybody takes off for uh, Yom Kippur. Every deli in the world is closed. Of course, there would be no business on Yom Kippur, right? But, uh, you know, every, everybody is in the synagogue uh, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Sukkot, there's quite a drop-off uh, and, 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 and really a disconnect. Uh, I have to say that growing up, attending the synagogue regularly, going to Hebrew school, being quite, quite involved, I never actually knew there was even a connection between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And, but it was an interesting holiday because we would build a sukkah in our backyard. And uh, my dad, he, uh, uh, he, at some point when I must have been very young, he got some uh, two-by-fours and, and, uh, and he made a frame. And every year he would take apart the frame and put it very carefully in the garage, right? And he would use the very same burlap uh, to make the walls. He'd wrap it up. You know, and uh, and then uh, we would go somewhere and get tree branches. Where I grew up for a while, there was no house. We were the last house on the street, and there was woods next to our house. So we would go in there and get uh, uh, and get branches. But then they built houses there, and we went somewhere else. And you know, uh, I can still smell the inside of that sukkah. I can smell the burlap. You know. Uh, the burlap walls. Uh, and uh, that is a testimony, by the way, for uh, doing these traditions with your kids, even if they're like, you know, not really into it or they're just going along doing it because you're doing it. You never forget it. It's part of who you are, you know? So I always enjoyed it. And I would, just like we do in Hebrew school here, I would draw pictures. Uh, and uh, my mom would uh, hang them up uh, in the sukkah, you know, and we would eat meals in there. I don't think we slept in it, though. You know, in upstate New York, in the middle of October, it's a little dicey, you know, uh, weather-wise. So uh, we didn't sleep in it, uh, but we ate meals in it, uh, and, uh, and I remember enjoying it very much. And what did I know about it? I think I probably knew something like, you know, God protected us in the wilderness and whatever I learned, you know, in a junior congregation or, or a Hebrew school. But, but it was a, a very nice and interesting, an interesting holiday, especially because of building that sukkah. And, uh, and of course, the synagogue never provided lulavs and etrogs for anybody, okay? Everybody, you bought your own. And uh, you brought it with you to the services uh, at, uh, at Sukkot. You know, and you, so if you are uh, tomorrow morning or Friday morning, if you're driving around Main Street or Broad Street, 
uh, in Bexley, uh, you will see people walking with a little of an etrogue uh, to, the, uh, to the service. And at a particular time in the service, you wave the lulav and etrog, and we'll, we'll all do that uh, here uh, this, uh, this evening and tomorrow morning in, in our sukkah. Uh, and, uh, and so great memories of Sukkot. But I think it's important for us to actually understand the holiday. <laughs> you know, not only the traditions and how marvelous the traditions are, but for us to understand what we're doing, why we, why we celebrate this holiday, and how it relates very, very much to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay? So first of all, we read about the holiday uh, in a number of different places. Uh, the first place is in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 23. Okay, in Exodus chapter 23, this is the basic laws that Moses received the covenant laws that sometimes they're called, the covenant code, sometimes people refer to it as. Uh, and it's very interesting because in chapter 23, in verse 16, it says here, you shall also, or also, you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field, also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. So that tells us something about Sukkot. It tells us that it is called, uh, it's not only the, called the Feast of Booths, but it's called the Feast of the Ingathering. And the reason it's called the Feast of the Ingathering is because it takes place at the end of the year, not December 31st, but at the end of the agricultural year, which is now, this time of year. Uh, and it is uh, an ingathering of the fall harvest, uh, mostly a fruit a harvest. Uh, and, you know, uh, if you come from uh, someplace in Ohio, uh, well, maybe even Columbus, but I know, like, uh, you know, where my wife is from in Wayne County, uh, the fall, you know, that's when the county fair is, and that's when, you know, it's like uh, the homecoming right? You know, that takes place in the fall. Maybe, uh, you know, I have to say where I grew up, I never heard of any of that kind of stuff. I, you know, I read about it, saw it on TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but, I, but I know a lot of people uh, experience that, a fall harvest festival, homecoming, all of that. Well, in a way, uh, Sukkot, I, I, like the rest of the people, uh, in uh, the ancient world, celebrated a fall harvest festival, okay? Uh, and uh, God gave Israel this particular uh, a holiday as when you bring in the harvest, remember me, see? Remember that when God gave the land to uh, the Jewish people, he, des he described it. I won't take the time to read the passages, but he called it a land of milk and honey with pomegranates and grapes and, you know, and describing the fruit of the land and all of that. And uh, unlike the rest of the, uh, the world, uh, Israel was to be thankful to the one and only God of Israel, you know, for the provision, for the provision. So uh, this uh, holiday uh, became known as a, uh, as a feast of of uh, ingathering, when you gather in the fruit of your labors 
from the field. Then, of course, we read it in probably the most famous passage about it, and that's in Leviticus, right? Chapter 23. In Leviticus chapter 23, there we have the instructions given to the priests on how to observe what are called holy convocations, which means holy appointments. When I uh, used to teach on this in churches, uh, before the advent of uh, computer technology, I used to say that it was like God said, get out your day timer. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, get out your day timer, uh, and I want you to uh, put some dates on there, uh, and you're going to come to the home office uh, for uh, a big meeting, you know? Uh, and so even though Israel, uh, the Jewish people, I, uh, of course, we're supposed to communicate with God all the time. There were certain times when he says, I want to personally meet with you. And that's what these holidays are in uh, Leviticus 23. They're called holy convocations or holy appointed times, literally. Okay? Uh, and so we read uh, in verse uh, 33... Okay, now remember, uh, if you're familiar with this, you know that uh, verse 23 to 25 is Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 26 to 32 is Yom Kippur. And then we read, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, there's a good verse to memorize, right? Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, on the 15th day of this seventh month, that begins tonight, 15th of Tishrei, okay? Uh, is the Feast of Booths for seven days to, uh, to the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop there and give a little clarification on something. And that is, and I, I say this just about every year, but, you know, it's only once a year, so you kind of might forget. And that is, uh, we're used to the word tabernacle, okay? We're used to that word, tabernacle, okay? It's an odd kind of word. It's an old English word, okay? Uh, and uh, we were familiar with the tabernacle in the wilderness, right? Okay, in Hebrew, that's a different word. It's called the mishkan, the mishkan. And it does, it's not the same as the Feast of Tabernacles. That's a different word. That's sukkot, plural. Sukkah, in, uh, you know, singular, sukkot, plural. So the tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? You've heard, that's what it's, it's often what it's called because of the King James Version. The reason it's called the Feast of Tabernacles is because that's what it says in the King James English Bible, okay? But that's not really the best word because people confuse it with the tabernacle in the wilderness, all right? Which also was a temporary structure, uh, you know, that was God's sukkah, you might say, but it served a different purpose, okay? Uh, and so it's not, they're not the same. They're not the same. So booth is a better word. Shelter is probably the best word, shelter. A temporary shelter, like lean-to, you know? That's kind of what a sukkah is supposed to be, all right? A temporary, uh, a temporary shelter. Uh, and it was used by uh, a people that worked, that were, uh, you know, worked in fields, and uh, the fields were big, and they didn't uh, uh, go home every day. Uh, and also, during the day, even if they did go home, the sun would be beating down, and so they would, they would go in these shelters uh, to have shade, you know, to be refreshed. And they would also stay in, in these shelters. 
they were very um, nondescript lean-tos, okay? Uh, and so booth is not a bad word, although when I think of booth, you think of voting booth, telephone booth, well, nobody thinks of telephone booth, but you think of like voting booth or something like that, right? So you don't want to get that idea either, just like a lean-to, a temporary shelter out on the farm somewhere, okay? That's what it is, all right? Uh, so it says, on the, on the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. So it's a seven-day festival with an extra day. That's what it is, okay? Uh, and uh, the, the name of the eighth day actually has a special name. It's called the Eighth Convocation, like the Eighth Assembly. Shmini Atzeret, okay? Uh, that's what it's called. So some of you maybe have heard of that from the time you were a child. You had no idea what that meant. That's what it is. It's the extra day, okay? It's the extra day. The rabbis would say that, because the text never tells us why, why is there an eighth day? Why does it say seven days and then an eighth day is like a holy convocation? So the rabbis tell us that God enjoys interacting with us, visiting for seven days, and he likes to stay an extra day. There you go, eight days, okay? And then about a thousand years ago, we tacked on a ninth day, a ninth day, and that is Simchas Torah, Simchat Torah, right? Uh, when uh, our ancestors came up with a uh, you might call it a, a lectionary, <laughs> you know, uh, a reading cycle for the year of reading the Torah. And they decided it's, it's the new holiday. It's only about a thousand years old, okay? Uh, and, and they decided that the end of Sukkot would be a good time to complete the Torah reading cycle. And so that's why now there's a ninth day, the uh, Simchat Torah, okay? And that's why it's not in the Bible, of course. But that's what that is. All right, let's go on here. So then it says uh, here in verse 37, uh, it kind of now is, uh, if you read it carefully, this is sort of like now the epilogue, okay? It says, these are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as, as a holy convocations, to present offerings by fire to the Lord. Uh, yeah. Burn offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and libations, which are like water off, pouring water offerings. Each day's matter on its own, besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides your gifts, and besides all your votive and freewill offerings, which you shall give uh, to, uh, to the Lord. So that could be the end of the chapter. But then it's very interesting. It doesn't really tell us much about Feast of Booths. But then, reading it carefully... In verse 39, it's like now there's like more information tacked on to the end about Sukkot. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now, very interesting. It tells us, again, that it is, first of all, it's a celebration. Celebration, Okay. Uh, and it's called the Feast of the Lord, okay? So there are a few places in the Bible that refer to a feast called the Feast of the Lord. It's Sukkot, okay? Sukkot becomes the most prevalent feast that's celebrated in Israel. 
far from being a minor holiday, it's like the most important one along with Passover. Uh, and it's sometimes just called the Feast or the Feast of the Lord. I'll let you get out your Bible works or your concordance and look up all the verses. There's one in Hosea. Uh, there's, uh, we read about it in the book of Judges. You know, this, the Feast or the Feast of the Lord. Okay? Uh, and so when we, uh, when we say to each other, Chag Sameach, that's the greeting, that basically means happy holiday, Chag Sameach, okay? So with Sukkot, though, sometimes it's just referred, in Hebrew, just referred to as the Chag, <laughs> the, the, the festival. Uh, and, uh, and, and so it had a very, very prominent, uh, very prominent uh, place, okay? All right, well, let's uh, continue reading there. All right, very important, called the Feast of the Lord. No other holiday is just called the Feast of the Lord, okay? For seven days with a rest on the first day, a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You know, what a coincidence. We happen to have right here, here is the palm, okay, uh, here is the willow of the brook, and this becomes the leafy tree, myrtle or hadassah, as it's called in, in Hebrew. Okay? comes from Israel. Right? And the fruit is, in English, you'd call it a citron. In Hebrew, it's called an etrog. An etrog. Okay? And you, know, you can get it two ways, by the way. You can get it with the tiny little pitum, as it's called, or without it. But so we went first class all the way this year, and we got it with the pitum. That makes it extra special and fresh and on all that. And we'll explain how you hold it in a, in a little while. But anyway, so the text says here that uh, you're supposed to take it for yourselves and rejoice before the Lord your God, right? So this became a big, a big to-do between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? I, uh, uh, the Pharisees said, you, you put it on the sukkah, like the roof of the sukkah. You decorate the sukkah with it. The Pharisees said, no, you don't. You hold it in your hands and you worship with it. Well, after the destruction of the second temple, there were no Sadducees anymore. There was no temple, there was no priesthood, any of that. They were gone. They were either dead or just ran away. There was no priesthood. They never spoke again. Okay, the Pharisees also, by the name Pharisees, but they morphed. Boy, someone would kill me if they were a real student of Jewish history. But anyway, uh, they kind of morphed into the rabbis, uh, who basically uh, developed Judaism, which is the which is the 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 faith of Jewish people without a temple. <laughs> okay, uh, and uh, and so they won the day. And so that's why we hold it in our hand. Okay? Very good. And it has a particular meaning uh, for, uh, for us, which we will explain. All right. Now, uh, then it says, You shall thus celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days. Again, it repeats, celebrate it. Celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Okay? For seven days of the year, it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall now, verse 42, is going to give us some information that we, didn't, we would not know anywhere else. 
You shall live in booths for seven days. All native born in Israel shall live in booths. So that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them uh, out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know, it doesn't say that anywhere else but in this verse. So it's a little tidbit of uh, historical information. Uh, that, and there you go. That God had the people live in these lean-tos, temporary shelters. And so a very important aspect of this holiday is not only a, a holiday of thanksgiving, celebrating the ingathering of the fall harvest, but also a historical reminder that God had the Jewish people dwell in these booths. And the idea of remembering that they, it wasn't that we might be nostalgic and remember how we lived, but that God protected us along the way and had us dwell in temporary shelters. So it's the idea of protection, the idea of protection, and then combined with the, uh, the fall harvest, the idea of provision, God's provision, God's protection, okay? And, and uh, that really is, according to this text, and in Exodus, what, uh, what Sukkot is about. Uh, so Moses declared to the sons of Israel uh, the appointed times of the Lord. Now, in, uh, it, it has another meaning. It's amazing. It's like an onion, right? Okay. And so we have to turn to Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 16. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, we see that this holiday is not only a great Thanksgiving festival of the ingathering of a fall harvest, not only a reminder that God provided for us and had us dwell in temporary shelters, but now there's something else. Uh, and that is here in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And we read about it in verse 13. It says there, you shall celebrate. There it is again. I think we're supposed to celebrate this holiday. Okay? You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths for seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. Now, there is a little more tidbit of information about this fall harvest. And you read this in a few different places. That on Sukkot, evidently, the grape, oh, it's too bad Henry's not here, the grape is accentuated, okay? Uh, and, and not only grapes, like for grape juice, but yes, blasphemous as it is, for wine, for making wine, okay? Because you read about the, the wine vat in a few different places in relationship to the festival, to the fall festival, okay? Uh, and so that's a little bit, a uh, tidbit of information. And, uh, you know, let me just say this. I don't know if you noticed it. I, we sent out a Jirash the other day, and there was a picture of grapes. Anybody see it? Okay. That picture comes from uh, a Moshav, the Moshav, where my son uh, had been living in the last three years. That's not some stock photo of grapes. Uh, it's right uh, from uh, the coastal plain there, uh, big farms where they grow pomegranates and grapes and figs and all kinds of other interesting things. So uh, very fruitful, uh, you know, very fruitful land uh, Israel is. But that's not the main thing here. Okay, in verse 14 it says, and you shall rejoice, in, not only celebrate, you shall rejoice in your feast. 
you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servant and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns, everybody, everybody needs to celebrate Sukkot. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place where the Lord chooses, okay, uh, because of the Lord your God, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and the work of your hands, so that you shall be altogether, uh, altogether joyful. All right? Okay. So we see the, uh, the extreme joy, the extreme blessing here. But that's not all. Turn to chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, and we read something else, something really terrific about Sukkot. It says here, Then the Lord commanded them, saying, this is in 31.10. Then, uh, yeah, 31.10. Then the Lord commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he shall choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. So on Sukkot, it's like a covenant every seven years. It was like a renewal of the covenant. So it wasn't only about the fruit of the land, you know, the feast of, uh, of ingathering and remembering God's protection in the wilderness, but it was, in a sense, like we say on Shabbat, that the children of Israel say once again, yes, uh, to, uh, uh, to God. So, you know, it goes on to say, assemble the people, the men, the women, the children, the alien who is in your town, in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God. Well, what a great message that would be, right? Uh, whenever you see three things, people like me get real crazy. Okay. May hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. And their children who, who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross in, uh, across the Jordan to possess. So the idea is, well, so on Sukkot, this great feast of joy, rejoicing uh, in the fruit of the land, and every seven years, read the Torah. Read the Torah uh, to the people. So truly an opportunity of covenant uh, renewal. Now, we read about this feast in other places later on uh, in the scriptures. In Nehemiah, after the children of Israel come back from the Babylonian captivity, okay, and now they're not simply doing the Torah, now they're like reading, they're reading the book of the law and doing what it says. It's, you know, it's a little different. Now they're reading the book of the law. Now it's written. Now it's written out for them. Beforehand, they were sort of just living it. Now it's written out for them. And uh, the uh, conventional wisdom is, is that Ezra actually put the finishing touches on it, uh, like, like perhaps wrote, Moses was the most humble man that lived on the face of the earth, you know, and things of that nature, that, uh, you know, and, and, um, and uh, that he is the scribe who, who basically puts the word of God in a form for the children of Israel to read, okay? Anyway, so here in uh, chapter 8 of uh, Nehemiah, 
It says here in verse 14, And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. See, now it's, just, it's called the feast of the seventh month. The feast. The feast of the Lord. The feast of the seventh month. Everybody knew it was Sukkot. Okay? All right. So they proclaimed and uh, they circulated and proclaimed in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees, and make booths as it is written. And then it goes on to talk about it. It goes on to describe that that's what they do. So there you go. So we see Sukkot, very prominent. Now, I did skip something, uh, and that is in 1 Kings. Uh, in 1 Kings, I skipped uh, something, and that is before, before Nehemiah and before Ezra, when uh, in hundreds of years, actually, before Nehemiah and before Ezra, when Solomon was the king, and he built the temple, Solomon's temple, the first temple. When was it dedicated? It was dedicated on Sukkot. They picked Sukkot to dedicate the temple. Okay? So in 1 Kings chapter 8, in verse 2, it says, And all the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast, at the feast, in the month Ephnaim, which is in the seventh month. So before it was called Tishrei, it was called Ethanim. You find out all kinds of interesting things when you read the Bible. Okay? So it was the seventh month, the feast of the seventh month. And that is when Solomon dedicates the temple and gives this great speech, you know, great, um, uh, fantastic uh, uh, speech. And then at the end, at the end, it says, So Solomon observed the feast at that time, and all Israel with him. A great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God for seven days. And then for seven more days, even 14 days. It just goes to show you that when we observe the holidays, it is not a legalistic experience. It says celebrate it for seven days. But if we want to celebrate it for 14 days, have at it. It's okay. You know what I mean? And, you know, that actually, that's actually a profound thing to say. I know it, you know, but it's actually quite profound because oftentimes it's like, well, did you do this? Did you celebrate it this way? Did you do that? Did you, did you, did you um, say that prayer? Did you uh, hold the lulav and etrog at the right time? And did you make sure that this was in your left hand, that was in your right hand? And did you, did you, you know? so we see here, they're just enjoying themselves. Uh, on Sukkot, uh, celebrating this grand celebration. Then it says, on the eighth day, see, we know it's Sukkot. Then on the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents, joyful and glad of heart, for all the goodness that the Lord has shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. See? Marvelous. So we see the prominence of Sukkot. Now, you may know this, and you'll be glad to know that I'm not going to take the time to read this. But in the uh, literature uh, in 2 Maccabees, uh, you know, the, the, uh, that intertestamental literature, right, that's Jewish literature, but it's written in Greek and unrecognized by the rabbinic authorities, okay, uh, that there is the real story of Hanukkah in there. 
right? The real story of Hanukkah. Let me ask you something. When you were growing up, did you know the real story of Hanukkah in 2 Maccabees? Did you know the real story of Hanukkah in 2 Maccabees when you were a kid? No, you didn't. You didn't know that, right? You learned that the, uh, you know, the oil lasted for eight days, and that's why we celebrate the holiday for eight days. That's it. That was the reason. That is beautiful rabbinic tradition, and it's fine and dandy. But in 2 Maccabees, it talks about the whole holiday. It talks about the whole the battle with the Maccabees and the whole thing. And it says that when they reclaimed the temple and they cleansed the temple, that they had missed celebrating Sukkot. And so they celebrated the dedication of the temple for eight days. And they celebrated Sukkot at the wrong time of year. And they weren't struck dead. You, you know what I mean? It was... And they weren't even messianic like us. You know what I mean? Okay? I, you know, who don't know anything. You know. I, and, 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 and so they celebrated Sukkot uh, in December, in Kislev. Okay? The 25th of Kislev. All right? So look at how important Sukkot is. But there's more. Okay? So after... The, uh, in the second temple period, when the Jews returned you know, back uh, uh, to the land, Sukkot takes on another kind of meaning altogether. In addition, not instead of, but in addition to the, the fruit of the land, in addition to remembering God protecting us in the wilderness, uh, you know, uh, in, in addition to reading the Torah every uh, seven years, and evidently also, in addition to the sense of when we dedicate a temple, we, we do so at Sukkot, right? Because it was evidently, by observation, Sukkot had, was beginning to have this meaning of God dwelling with us. You know, God dwelling with us. And so perhaps that's why Solomon chose Sukkot. God dwells with us. Maybe that's why the, at the Second Temple period, they, they not only enjoyed the holiday and missed celebrating it, but it had something to do with God dwelling with us, you know, in the, in the temple. So lo and behold, we read in the book of Zechariah, like out of nowhere, totally not having anything to do with the origins of the holiday and the context of the holiday as we read about it in the Torah, but... In Zechariah chapter 14, we read, and, and you know, we're just so used to it as a messianic end-time type thinking community, but it's very, like, obscure. It's, a, it's an oddity. It's, uh, you got to scratch your head and say, well, you know, if I was writing it, I might have picked Passover for uh, what it says here. So we read that, you know, when, I, you know, when the Olam Haba comes, when the Messiah comes, and of course, we know Yeshua is the Messiah, so we say when Messiah appears again, we know that his feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives are going to split, right? You've heard that? It comes from this passage in Zechariah chapter 14. Okay, that's where it comes from, all right? And it says in this passage, in verse 16, And it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate, there it is, celebrate the Feast of Booths. Why the Feast of Booths? Why not Passover, the blood of the Lamb, 
Yeshua, the Lamb of God, the Seder. I mean, if it was me, you know, but that's not what it says. The Feast of Booths, Sukkot. Why Sukkot? Why this minor holiday that takes place after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Why this holiday when we, we build a sukkah? What does that have to do with anything? You know? Uh, and, and so then it says, And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Okay? So, uh, the, now what's interesting is that in Zechariah, you now begin to really have this, um, this issue of a little ambivalence about who is actually sitting on the throne. Is it God? Is it like the king of Israel? You know, like the next king from Judah? Is it a king? Is it God? The Lord is on his throne. People are going to come and worship the king of the Lord. And they're going to celebrate Sukkot. What does all that have to do with each other? And that if they don't, um, if they don't uh, come, there'll be no rain. What is that all about? So what you see here is, is that God gave some new revelation to this prophet. And that is that Sukkot would become this eschatological, this end time holiday that depicted God dwelling with humanity. Okay? God dwelling with humanity. Right? Uh, now, what's fascinating is, is that our ancestors, the, uh, you know, the Tanaim, who are the Tanaim? They are like the rabbi, we call them the rabbis, and they were of the, you know, the generation who came, we'll just say, right after Yeshua. So they uh, were influenced by this by this understanding of uh, the uh, Sukkot uh, being this time when the Messiah comes, this time when the Alam Haba comes, the people are going to celebrate Sukkot. So, you know where it said in Leviticus chapter 23 about how uh, we live in booths because God had us dwell in booths? So the famous Rabbi Akiva, first century, very famous, famous, capital F, cap, all caps, famous rabbi. You can visit his tomb in Tiberias today. I mean, you know, huge. Okay. He said, and therefore he influenced a whole generation of rabbis who wrote about it, that when it says that God had us dwell in booths, that it's not talking about literal lean-tos, but that it's actually talking about the cloud, the cloud of glory, the cloud that, you know, the people followed that it's actually, that's the sukkah, like the sukkah of God. And the people dwelt with God in the, in the heavenly sukkah. And the day is going to come when the heavenly sukkah will return. And we will dwell in the presence of God in the heavenly sukkah. Okay? I, uh, so it's very interesting. In one of the Targums, the most famous one, and if you have a stone chumash, anybody know what that is? The blue, the big blue book. Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Okay, forget about it. No problem. Okay. I, I, underneath, if you do, a couple of people raise their hands. Underneath the text, you have something written in like, it's actually an Aramaic. Okay. I, and, you know, some people can understand it. It's called Targum Ankylos. Okay. And this is what uh, Targum Ankylos uh, has to say 
about this passage of the cloud of glory. It says, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell under the shadow of clouds when I brought them forth from the land of Mitzrayim. I am the Lord your God. Okay? Uh, this is from, uh, this is like a, a, uh, an adaptation of Leviticus 23.43. That your generation may know uh, under the shadow of the cloud of glory I made the sons of Israel to dwell. At that time I brought them out and redeemed them from the land of of Mitzrayim. Okay, then I, in a book, by you're not going to believe the author of this book. You ready? The author, it's a book about Sukkot in the Second Temple period. And the author's name is Jeffrey Rubenstein. Jeffrey L. Rubenstein. Okay? I, uh, so he says about this whole concept, dwelling in a sukkah acted out the messianic experience for which the Tanaim longed, the time when the divine presence would once again reside over the Jerusalem temple. Within the confines of the sukkah, the Tanaim felt the continual presence of the cloud of clouds of glory, just as they believed would be the case in messianic times. Okay? So this is all, you know, wow, that's, that's pretty, pretty intense and very interesting, given the fact that Yeshua spends some significant time talking about Sukkot and celebrating the feast. Now remember, when these rabbis wrote, wrote about the cloud of glory, they wrote about it a century later, but it was oral tradition in the first century. So this was knowledgeable. This was, this was you know, knowledgeable. Like the, the people knew Sukkot, the cloud of glory. Okay? Uh, that's important. Okay? For two reasons. One is, turn to Matthew chapter 17. So it says here in uh, chapter 17, And six days later, Yeshua took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he, Yeshua, was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. In other words, Yeshua showed himself in his glory, you know, in, in his glory, in, in, in his deity, okay? And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And Peter answered and said to Yeshua, uh, Lord, it is good for us to be here as you wish. I will make three sukkahs here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I would suggest there is no coincidence in that the knowledge of Sukkot at that time included that the sukkah was, you know, this cloud of glory uh, you know, uh, and, and that when we build the sukkah and we dwell in it, that we're longing once again for the presence of God, and that Peter sees not only Yeshua in his glory, but also a cloud, and he says, shall I build a sukkah? That it's all connected, all connected to the, the, the Jewish understanding of the presence of God at Sukkot. Now, it might not have been Sukkot, but he says, should I build a sukkah? If we turn to uh, John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, now we come to the quintessential Sukkot passage, okay? 
All right. So in chapter 7, at the beginning of the chapter, it says here in verse 2, Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was at hand. Isn't it interesting that it's just called the feast of the Jews, Sukkot. It was so prominent. The feast of the Jews, Sukkot. The feast of booths was at hand. So when you go to the 37th verse, on the last day, the great day of the feast, okay, that's the seventh day, not Shemini Atzeret, but the seventh day, the great day. It's called Hoshana Rabbah, has a name to this day, Hoshana Rabbah, and that means Lord save us, please save, actually literally, Hoshana Rabbah, save very much, okay, all right. Uh, and, uh, and on that day, traditionally, there are prayers for rain. On Sukkot, there are specific prayers for rain. Rain was understood as, that is, uh, that is a manifestation of the blessing, the blessing of God. Physical rain. The beginning of the rainy season. So that there be crops. You know? Okay? So, uh, at Sukkot, I, one of the, uh, there is significant prayer for rain in Eretz Yisrael, rain uh, in, in Israel. Okay? All right. So now it says, you got to remember that. Okay? Good. Now, by the way, remember Zechariah chapter 14? And if the people don't come to Jerusalem, there'll be no rain. Okay? It has to do with you pray for rain at Sukkot. That's the blessing of God you pray for at Sukkot, rain. Okay? So now it says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Mayim chayim. Rivers of living water. Okay. Now, there's a whole background. There's a whole tradition to this. Okay? And I want to read something to you about it. While the morning sacrifice was being prepared, a priest, accompanied by other people, would go down to the pool of Siloam, carrying a golden pitcher. He would draw water out of the pool and return to the temple amid the blowing of ram's horns, the waving of palm branches, singing and playing of instruments. Once back in the temple, the sacrifices would proceed. The priest who had gone to the pool of Siloam would return just as the sacrifice would be laid on the altar. He would proceed to the altar and pour the water into a special basin with narrow holes in it. There was also another silver basin for the pouring of wine as a drink offering as well. Remember those wine vats? Okay. This was a very joyful event. According to Alfred Edersheim, I'll tell you who he is in a minute, as soon as the wine, as soon as the wine and and water and the water were being poured out, the temple music began, and the Hallel, Psalms one thirteen to Psalm one eighteen, were sung to the accompaniment of flutes, except on the Sabbath and on the first day of the feast, when flute playing was not allowed. When the choir came to the words from Psalm one eighteen and verse twenty five. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And again, when they sang, Oh, work then now salvation, O Lord. All of the worshipers would shake their palm branches, call lulavs toward the altar. The seventh day of the feast was, the, was a special day called Hoshana Rabbah. 
Each day of the feast, the priests would form a procession around the altar singing, Oh, then now work salvation, O Lord. On Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh day, they would proceed seven times around the altar. According to the Talmud, the reason for the water pouring was a plea that God would not only pour out water, but that he would pour out the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay? With joy, fulfilling Isaiah 12.3, with joy shall you dwell out, shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Okay? So, here they're pouring, it's the seventh day, the great day of the feast. They're pouring this water, right? Praying, yes, for uh, rain and for, the, for the, the consummation. Praying for the heavenly sukkah to return. Praying for the, you know, what it says in Joel, basically, in chapter 2. Uh, the pouring out of the, of the ruach. May I suggest it is in the middle of all of that that Yeshua says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, they didn't understand what that meant. But John gives us a little commentary in the next verse. He says, But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Yeshua was not yet glorified. So Yeshua is basically saying, You can have the heavenly sukkah now, even though it's not yet Israel's future today. You can have the heavenly sukkah now. You can have the presence of God now. And on your own, you can read in Zechariah uh, uh, chapter uh, uh, 14, and in, I believe, it's the 47th chapter of Ezekiel, that in that day, water is going to flow out of Jerusalem. Okay? And what Yeshua is saying, that when he says, just as it says... Living water shall flow out of Jerusalem. He's referring to those passages. And what is the living water? The living water, according to Yeshua, is the Ruach. The Ruach. And so one of the things you, you see here is, is that the, the physical agricultural holiday is a blessing and, and should be celebrated for what it is. But it points to a, a greater blessing, you know, a greater fruitful blessing. And it's very interesting because if you turn to Joel, who knew there was so much about Sukkot? In Joel chapter 2, if you begin in verse 21 of Joel chapter 2, it says, Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full, so rejoice, O sons of Zion. The land is going to produce, and we see it certainly uh, today. Right? And be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. Now, when it says latter rain, it doesn't mean latter rain like rain of God. It's rain, like drops of rain. Okay, And the threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats, those wine vats, will overflow with the new wine and oil. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, 
my great army which I sent among you, which was a judgment, and you shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. And it will come to pass after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. Blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And I'll stop there. So that became this day to look forward to. Doesn't mean the days before it were, uh, were inferior, but that those days, the pouring out of the Spirit. And so oftentimes in the Bible, the physical blessing points to a spiritual blessing. The pouring out of the water, the growth of the land, all points to God's presence and, you know, and enjoying the, the great presence of God. All right. And so you see how in Yeshua, Yeshua is our sukkah. In him, uh, we live and we dwell. We dwell in the very presence of God. And so when we embrace Messiah Yeshua, we could say the heavenly sukkah is in our midst. Looking forward indeed to that day when the heavenly sukkah will encompass the entire world and the entire world will be renewed, you know, and, uh, and restored. Uh, and so when we think about, there's more I could say, okay, I'm not going to, we're not going to take the time to talk about the, I'll save it for tomorrow, the, uh, the light of the world passage in John chapter 8, and how that is also another Sukkot tradition. But the, the point being for us is that when we think about our journey, this journey of going from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to Sukkot, this is how it's all tied together. That you need Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to get to Sukkot. We need repentance and the gift of reconciliation from God to get to the celebration of God's presence in our midst, see? And interestingly enough, uh, Rubenstein, Jeffrey L. Rubenstein, also writes that way back when, and it's usually way back when means in the second temple period before the destruction of the temple, that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were the feasts, were the, feast, were the, the holy days leading to Sukkot. And Sukkot was the big day the opposite of today. Today, Sukkot is like an afterthought to a certain extent. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's not an afterthought, but it's a minor holiday. Okay, But before the destruction of the Second Temple, it was like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. And that's why Yeshua makes such a big deal out of it. And that's why when we read, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the Sukkah is coming. You know? And that is indeed who Yeshua is. And it's no coincidence that when we read in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, he came to dwell among his own. That Greek word dwell, skenos, is the word for sukkah. He came to tabernacle among his own. 
And then isn't it interesting in the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation, we read how people are carrying palm branches and waving palm branches, rejoicing in God. And in Revelation chapter 21, in verse 3, we read, the tabernacle of God has come to dwell with man. The skenos of God has come to dwell with man. And so in Yeshua, he is indeed our Sukkot. And may we rejoice. May we rejoice. Uh, may we be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, uh, on Sukkot. May we experience the fruit of the Spirit in our walk with God and in our relationships. May it be a, a rich experience. And now as we come to wave the lulav and the etrog, may it be, as it were, uh, a, a, uh, a gift of thanksgiving for the heavenly sukkah, for Yeshua. And may it also be a prayer of intercession for this world. As there were 70 offerings uh, offered on, uh, on Sukkot. And the rabbis understood it as, as 70 as like a number of completion, of, uh, representing uh, interceding, praying for, you know, praying for all the nations of the, of the world. And so we are living in a dark day in our world right now. We are living in a day of great sadness in our world. I will be addressing on Shabbat, how can this be Zaman Simchatenu when we look around us and we see just sadness and destruction all around us? I'll be talking about that on Shabbat. But tonight, as we wave the lulav and etrog, uh, may it be a prayer for comfort and for peace and for a pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh on hurting people that we may know in our, in our families, in our lives, in our city, and certainly around the world.